You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, Tonight, um, we're going to be in the book of Luke. Luke chapter number 7. When you find your place in Luke chapter 7, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? And um, Luke chapter 7, and we will read verses 1 through 10 tonight. The Bible says here, Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. But saying a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. And tonight I want to draw your attention to that a phrase there in verse number nine where Jesus uh, commends this centurion. He says, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for <clears throat> the, uh, the day that we've had. I just thank you that we could just come to the house of God and uh, just be encouraged through fellowship, through, through music that speaks to our hearts. Um, and through the preaching of your word. And Lord, we just uh, thank you for all of it. And Lord, we're uh, encouraged today. Lord, uh, I feel like your name has been lifted up here. And uh, Lord, again, we just pray that as this scripture is read, that again, your name would be lifted up. Lord, uh, Lord, we want you to be preeminent today in everything that is said by me. Uh, through this message, Lord, I just pray that you would use it to speak to hearts. And uh, Lord, I just pray if there's someone here tonight that may not know you as Savior, that they would accept you as their Savior tonight. And Lord, we would give you all the praise and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> we are, I believe, living 
uh, in a time where our faith, our Christian faith, is under attack. Um, You know, Bible-believing Christians uh, are under attack. Uh, People who believe in and stand without compromise in the the truths of the Word of God are considered uh, nowadays terrorists, were considered extremists, and our faith is openly mocked um, in uh, just by people in government, by uh, people in public schools, anywhere that you go uh, and people find out that you are a Christian and especially a Bible-believing Christian, uh, oftentimes your faith, your Christianity, what you believe in is going to be mocked. Yet, even though faith may, may be mocked by the world, what I love about this, we see in this account of Scripture that Jesus found something that made him marvel, and that was faith, okay? The, the faith of this centurion. Uh, Jesus commended this centurion for his faith while really at the same time, I think, rebuking the Jews uh, because of their lack of it. And um, so he said, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And, you know, that is where I believe he should have found it. That's where he was looking for it. And he couldn't find it. He should have found it among his people, among the Jews. Yet it was missing with them, yet it was present with a Roman, with a centurion, with this occupying soldier. It shouldn't have been found with him. He was a Gentile. You know, this word marvel means a wonder. A wonder, uh, something that grabs your attention, something that causes you to stand up and gaze in amazement, okay? And uh, there's only really two instances in Scripture where Jesus marveled at someone. And both instances had to do with this topic of faith. And uh, here in our text, Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion. The other time that Jesus marveled was due to a lack of faith in Mark chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. The Bible says there, But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around Uh, about the villages teaching. Now, I don't know about you, but that's to me, is an amazing thought that Jesus marveled. Jesus was amazed. (laughs) Jesus was surprised by what he had found. Uh, And can you imagine trying to throw a surprise birthday party for Jesus, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like he already knows everything, you know, and so, but he was surprised here by what he found. He was surprised here by uh, where he found it, and he was surprised uh, by uh, in whom he had found it, and uh, it, it's really an amazing thought, and, you know, when you read through the life of Christ that's given to us here in the Gospels, uh, you notice right away that, that Jesus was the one that usually amazed people. 
Okay? Uh, people were amazed by what Jesus said and by what Jesus did. And we can think of different stories throughout the New Testament where Jesus uh, amazed people. One time uh, we, we read about in, in Matthew 8 when uh, Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and the, the storm came up and uh, the, the ship began to be covered with waves and uh, the disciples uh, run over to Jesus and they, they wake him up because he was sleeping in the storm and uh, they say, Lord, save us, we perish. And yet, uh, and he said unto them, why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds, the Bible says, in the, in the sea, and there was a great calm. And I like what it says there in that, in Matthew 8, uh, 27, it says, but the men marveled, saying, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? They marveled at him over his power, over nature, over, uh, over the sea and the storm. And uh, I like uh, the story, too, where uh, Jesus uh, amazed, people were amazed by his power to heal sickness and disease and even to forgive sin. People marveled at this. And uh, we know about the story of the man that was sick of the palsy. He was lying on a bed and, and uh, they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus, what did he do? He, he forgave his sins. He said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And, uh, and they uh, began to uh, uh, say to the, the scribes and people that were there began to uh, uh, say to, that Jesus blasphemeth by saying this. And, and of course, Jesus knew their thoughts. And, and uh, he said, I like what he says here in, in verse 5 there of uh, Matthew 9. He says, For whether is easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise and walk. It's like, what's, it's just as easy for me to forgive this guy's sin and it's just as easy for me to heal this guy. It makes no difference to me. I can do both. And just to show that he could do that, could forgive sins, he went ahead and healed him. And I, it says in verse 8, it says, but when the multitude saw it, they marveled. Okay, they marveled. Jesus is always amazing people. And uh, they glorified God, which had given such power unto men, the Bible says. And then uh, one other example we see of Jesus' amazing people was when he uh, cast out uh, unclean spirits. And uh, one instance, of course, is in Matthew 9, 33, it says, And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, uh, It was never so seen in Israel. And then people were also amazed at his doctrine. You know, uh, Matthew 7, in verse 28 and 29, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one, uh, having authority and not as the scribes. And, um, you know, uh, but what about us? I wonder tonight if, if uh, are we still amazed by what Jesus said or, or did? Are we, as we read through the word of God, does it just become, you know, you know, I've heard all this before. When we come to church and hear a sermon, you know, I've heard all this before. You know, sometimes we could get like that. But, but I hope that we would, can still be in a place where we're still amazed by what Jesus uh, said and by what he did and what he is doing 
in our lives personally and what he's doing in our world. You know, we sing a song that's uh, called My Savior's Love. It talks a little bit about um, uh, how we can stand stand amazed in his presence. And uh, it goes, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. You know, for me it was in the garden, he prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. He took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. When with the ransom of glory, his face I at last shall see, Twill be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Amen. You know, and then the refrain that says, How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. You know, praise the Lord for his amazing love to us and towards us. Praise the Lord for the amazing things that he has done in our lives. And, and, And yet, as good as it is to think, about how amazing Jesus is, I wonder if Jesus would be amazed by us and by our faith. I wonder if Jesus would marvel at our faith. Or would he marvel tonight at our lack of faith? You know, we see in in our text in Luke 7, verse 1, the Bible says... Now when he had ended all the sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. You know, Jesus had just finished preaching his sermon on the mount, and he's making his way down into Capernaum. And in that sermon, Jesus preached about some of the characteristics that make up a true disciple. And a true disciple is going to love their enemies, the Bible says. And you can go back and read uh, the Sermon on the Mount and see some of these. But he says a true disciple is going to love their enemies. He's going to be compassionate. He's going to be forgiving. A true disciple is going to be generous, among many other things. So as Jesus finishes this Sermon on the Mount, uh, he, he comes here to the city of Capernaum where he's going to encounter this man, this centurion, Uh, who really becomes a living illustration of what he had just been talking about in his sermon. And uh, it's this Roman centurion. He's he's on maybe the other side of town, so to speak. Uh, He's struggling with a problem, okay? And and I want to look at some of the aspects of the faith of this centurion that I believe caused Jesus to marvel. And there's, there's a lot here. This is full of, of, of just some great truths. I just want to give you a few of them tonight. What I, I think that may, maybe have caused Jesus to marvel at this centurion. And I think, first of all, we see uh, in, the, in our text the compassion of this centurion. The compassion of the centurion. It says, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. Okay, the problem that this centurion is having is that he is worried about his servant. The Bible says uh, uh, this, this servant is going to probably die. He is on the verge 
of death. And what's really interesting here is that he is actually concerned about it. Why is he concerned about it? You know, most of the time these servants or these slaves were uh, many times uh, mistreated. They were basically uh, property. They were simply uh, a tool to be used. And uh, many times they were abused by their masters. And these slave owners, they could do anything that they wanted to do to their slaves without consequence. Uh, they, they could do anything they want and were never held accountable for what they did. You know, and yet in this account this, of the servant or the slave, he was sick. He was, he was close to death. And, and, but we see that for some reason, this centurion cared about him. The Bible says he was dear unto him. And this centurion was different. He, uh, he, he didn't abuse his slave. He, he cared about his slave. And this slave was, was precious to him. He, he showed compassion. He showed uh, uh, this compassion. And, and really, compassion is, is really what will move somebody to act, to do something. Okay, uh, and what do you do when someone that you might love is is sick? Okay, um, uh, what you know, we would go out and we would find medicine. We go to the pharmacy and try to find some kind of medicine that might help. Maybe it's a cold. Maybe get some cold tablets or uh, whatever it is. We would try to find um, uh, something that would help them feel better. Right. And uh, if that didn't work, you know, it might, uh, and it got more serious, we'd probably take him to the doctor and said, hey, uh, this person, my, my wife or my son or my daughter, they're sick and we need to do something about it. There's nothing that I can do and maybe you can do something. Why don't you take a look? You know, someone that has compassion, you want to try to fix that problem, right? The centurion cared so much for this, 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 uh, his servant that he was determined to find some way to help him, to, to find some remedy, to find some help. And, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking that maybe he tried the pharmacy, okay, if there was one, I don't know. But he maybe have gone there and, and said, you know, uh, you know we, I need something, I need some medicine for my servant, he's sick, and uh, we need to do something. Maybe he went to all the doctors and, and the doctors looked at him and said, there's nothing that we can do. And, uh, but that didn't stop him from trying, did it? That didn't stop him. That didn't quench his spirit of compassion. He wanted to find a solution. And, uh, and I'm sure this is a situation, like I said, we can all relate to. We have loved ones that we care about that need help. Sometimes there's nothing we can do about it, but maybe a doctor can. Sometimes a doctor can't do anything about it. And um, yet it's easy, I think, for us to forget, um, to forget or to maybe look past the fact that we live in a world with a lot of people that are in the same condition as this servant. Okay, People that are sick. And ready to die. People that are sick spiritually and they're ready to die and spend eternity in a Christless hell. 
you know, our society, you know, it, I don't know, for lack of a better term, it just, things get weirder and weirder here. Every time we come back to America, it feels like we're flying into another foreign country because I hardly recognize our own country anymore. It's just getting strange. And, uh, you know, what that can cause sometimes is to look at people differently. Like, eh, they're a lost cause. <laughs> yeah, you know, that person with all the tattoos on them, you know, I'm not going to try to bother with them. Or all the piercings or, you know, the, all the, uh, the, the crazy homelessness that uh, we see in, in California and on every corner. Uh, it's just craziness. And we look at people like that and think, get a job, you know, and yet we don't have compassion. And um, yet, uh, yeah, sometimes we just, even, even I do this, sometimes in, in Croatia with, with the gypsies, sometimes it's hard to have compassion because uh, of different issues that come with that culture and lifestyle. But, you know, I believe that we have to have and determine to have and to be like this, this centurion who had compassion. He had a caring heart. I think it's something that we have to really work at having is a heart of compassion. And this man, he had a caring heart and he was doing what he could to, to get help uh, for his servant. And, you know, this centurion, he was a, a leader. He, know how, he knew how to get things done, yet he knew also how to serve. And that's interesting. He, he was serving his servant here. And, um, you know, all of us also are born with a spiritual problem called sin. And just like this sick slave who was uh, ready to die, and there, there is nothing really that we in of ourselves can do to solve our sin problem. Yet, that doesn't stop people from trying, does, does it? It, it? People are always trying to do something to solve their sin problem. You know, I think of um, uh, just uh, things that we see on the mission field. And uh, uh, Croatia is a very uh, Catholic place. And I, there, every little town or village has a, a little, at the center of town, they'll have a cross on there with Jesus hanging on the cross. And I, we, we drove by one and people are there. They put a candle there sometimes and then they're sitting there praying, you know, doing all this. And, and uh, boy, they're trying to fix something. They're trying to fix something that is not going to work. They try to cure the sickness with their traditions and they try to do it with their good works and lighting candles and, and, and their baptism and, and their, or their offering that they give. They're trying to uh, fix their sin problem and cure their sin problem uh, by some other means than what the Bible says. They're trying to, they put their faith in a, a religious system or in, this, the, in, in their case, uh, the Catholic Church. But it doesn't work. They're still unhappy. They're still unsaved. They're still going to die in their sins. So people all over the world have this need to, to hear that the cure is not in a religious system. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And, and God had compassion on us as well, didn't he? He sent his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, of course, for uh, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, I like Psalm 86, 15. The Bible says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. Matthew 9:36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. So this centurion, he tried everything, yet he came to a point where there was nowhere else to turn. Uh, he, he had that compassion. He showed compassion. He wanted uh, his servant to live and to be healed and, and to, to, to go on being his servant. Yet, yet in and of itself, that wasn't enough to heal his servant. And we see that this, this centurion did something next that's really uh, interesting. And I want you to look at, uh, secondly, the, the request of the centurion, or we could say maybe the prayer of the centurion. Okay, look at verse 3 and 4. The Bible says, And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. The, the request of the centurion. And we see uh, that and know that it's usually true that sometimes we don't turn to Jesus until we're sort of, until we've tried everything else. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, and that's, that's sort of what may have happened here, uh, but... Um, we, we don't turn to Jesus and, uh, until there's something that we can't solve ourselves. Now, um, when there's nowhere else to turn, it, sometimes it's then that people will turn to Jesus when they're at the end of themselves. And we, here we find the centurion realizing that there was nothing that he could do. There was nothing that he could do, okay, but there was something that Jesus could do. And the Bible tells us here that, that he heard of Jesus. Isn't that a great phrase? Um, there's, there's so many people in this world who have never once heard of Jesus. Uh, some may have heard his name, but they don't really know who he is. And uh, I hope that uh, this would challenge us to speak more of the name of Jesus. People need to hear about Jesus. And so the centurion had heard of Jesus. You know, maybe the centurion was kept informed by, by, uh, by his soldiers, the people under him, of what was taking place in the lives of the Jews. Uh, he was a centurion. He was over a hundred soldiers. He was um, uh, sort of there to keep order and control of the Jewish population. And, and maybe uh, he had heard about some of what was going on in the, in the area there. And Jesus was there often in Capernaum. And, um, 
so maybe he heard reports of Jesus healing people. You know, maybe somebody told the centurion how Jesus had healed a nobleman's son who was also uh, sick and uh, close to death as well. Maybe um, they, he had heard how Jesus had uh, cast out unclean spirits from a man in a synagogue. Maybe uh, he had heard different mirac- uh, about these different miracles Jesus did and when he, uh, how he healed the man sick of the palsy. So the centurion, as he was trying to help his servant, remembered that someone told me about Jesus once. You know, somebody said, there's this man who's healing people. And uh, he just remembered that he had heard of Jesus there. And, you know, what a great thought that is. And as Christians, as Bible believers... You know, we have a responsibility upon us to make sure that people hear of Jesus, right? Um, Because there's uh, no one with the answers to the problems of life other than Jesus. The Bible tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He has the answers, And that's why we in Croatia and when we were in Estonia and in Russia, we would go out on the streets and we would hand out Bibles and we would hand out tracts and we would put tracts in people's mailboxes. And it's it's why we preach about sin and, and, uh, and the need to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. You know, uh, most people think uh, that they're good people, right? Um, Uh, Most people think that they're good people and God will allow them into heaven based on their goodness. And uh, however, we know that it doesn't work that way according to the Bible. Um, But, uh, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit will use the word of God to bring conviction to a heart. And, And in order for someone to be saved, we know that they have to realize that they do need a savior. And we see that he first heard of Jesus. And the Bible says this, and this is his request. It says here, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. You know, that means that he asked. It it could mean he, he requested or even he begged that, that Jesus would come. He, he sent these elders, these Jewish elders to Jesus and, and, and really, in, in not just uh, a passive way, I think it was probably in a, uh, really in a begging form, a, a, almost a prayer and say, God, I need you to help me. And don't we say that when we're in a desperate situation? We get on our face and we pray and we cry out to God. You know, this centurion... Uh, I think uh, we can say that he, he maybe in a way prayed, but he requested. The centurion, of course, had authority. All, all he had to do was, was, was speak a word to anybody, and they did exactly what he said. Uh, any command that he gave was obeyed immediately. Yet he is powerless, right? He, he can't do anything. Uh, his authority makes no difference here, right? 
He realized there's something he can't do, but that Jesus can do. And, and prayer really is that declaration of dependence upon God. And, and when we get desperate or we get, get low, what we turn to reveals what we truly believe. You know, this man turned to Jesus. What a blessing that is to think that he turned to Jesus. There's nothing he could do. He turned to Jesus and asked Jesus to do a miracle for him. Amen. You know, what I notice here in this passage is that he did not turn to the faith. Uh, he didn't put his faith in the religion of the area. Uh, look at verse 5. The Bible says uh, here in verse 5, For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. You know, um, this centurion obviously knew uh, about the religion of the Jews. He seemed interested in it. Um, uh, it's, but there was nothing in that religion that he believed could help with the need that was at hand. It says... Uh, he, uh, the Bible tells us that, um, again, that we're all sinners and there's no religion really that can help us deal with the problem of sin as well. But he, he didn't put his faith in the religion of that area. And he also didn't put his faith in people there, the elders. Okay? Uh, the Bible tells us that he sent the elders to Jesus. And he knew the elders were just like him and they couldn't do anything to help him. Uh, he, uh, uh, he didn't use candles or idols or icons or superstitions. Uh, he just knew he had to get the attention of Jesus because Jesus could only, was the one that could do something. And so he uh, prayed, he requested something from Jesus. And... We see here also, lastly, the humility of the centurion. The humility of the centurion. I like verse, uh, look at verse 6. Uh, then Jesus went with them, and when he was not now far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but saying a word, and my servant shall be healed. You know, it's interesting to me how all the people around the centurion said that he was a worthy man. Okay. Uh, uh, he's worthy. Why? They went to Jesus. Remember the elders? They went to Jesus and said, Jesus, he's worthy. You know why he's worthy, Jesus? He built us a synagogue and he loves our nation. Okay. Uh, that's what these elders went to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, he's worthy. You got to help him. He's worthy. He's done these things. Yet when the centurion speaks, he says exactly the opposite thing. He says he's not even worthy for Jesus to come to his house. Verse 7, he says he didn't even feel worthy to go to Jesus personally. Yet the elders went to Jesus on his behalf, saying he's worthy. And the reason was he built a synagogue, and um, 
so the centurion here recognized that in comparison to Jesus, he was nothing. You know, we're not worthy to go to heaven. None of us. We're not, none of us are worthy. Um, you know, I think sometimes when on the mission field, people wonder, one of the first questions they ask us is, why did you come here? <laughs> why did you leave America to go there? And a lot of times I think that they think that we're trying to work um, to sacrifice America to go to a place like that uh, so that we can earn our way to heaven. And sometimes I think that's their thought process. Yet, uh, none of us are worthy to go to heaven. Nothing that I do in this life makes me worthy to go to heaven. We're not worthy that Christ should live in our hearts. Uh, The only reason I'm on my way to heaven is because Uh, By the grace of God, at the age of seven, I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's the only reason that I get to go to heaven. You know, Proverbs 20 and verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You know, when we witness to people and ask them why God would allow, why God should allow them into heaven... You know, they almost always respond by saying, uh, he's a good, I'm a good person, right? You know, they talk about all the good things that they've done. Uh, they treat people right. Maybe they go to church. Maybe they've been baptized, okay, as a baby or something. They think that makes them worthy. And yet there is no humility in that kind of a faith. There's no humility there. Um, all people are doing is proclaiming that they're worthy, okay? And that God would not send a person like me to hell because I'm worthy, because I, I go to this church or I do this and I do that. Real faith says I'm not worthy, but he is worthy. And real faith realizes who Jesus is, okay? And that he is God in the flesh and that he alone is worthy because he died on the cross and he paid for my sin and for your sin. I like what Isaiah says in chapter 6, and we heard that this morning at men's prayer. Uh, uh, what, what did Isaiah do when he went into the presence of the Lord? You know, he, uh, he, he fell on his face. <laughs> and he says, woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He says, I'm, I'm unclean. I don't deserve to be here. You know, the centurion did not tell the elders to go to Jesus and say what a good centurion he was. He didn't go, he didn't tell them to, hey, he he didn't say to the elders, hey, remind Jesus that uh, I love the nation of Israel. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, elders, make sure you tell Jesus that I built a synagogue for the Jews. That will really impress him. He didn't say that. The centurion in humility said, I am not worthy, okay? I am not worthy. He was humble. And God does not want us to work to earn his favor. He wants us to simply trust his word, and, and like the centurion did in verse 7 and 8, 
Um, I love this. In verse 7 it says, Wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. He says in verse 8, For I am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth. To another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. And, you know, this is probably the most amazing thing that this man, uh, the centurion, said. Um, it, was, it was amazing that he trusted in the power and in the authority of the word of God. And uh, he, he knew and he trusted uh, that if Jesus would just say a word, it would happen. And I, I said, wonder, how did he know that? How did he, how, how did he know? How, how could he be so sure? You know, again, I think he lived there in Capernaum. I think that maybe he heard about all the miracles that were taking place. And, and I think he also heard maybe how Jesus did a lot of those miracles. And a lot of the time, he just simply spoke a word. He spoke a word and a paralyzed man was healed. He spoke a word and a demon left. He spoke a word and the sea was calm. He somehow knew that the words of Jesus had authority. And that's why this book is so important in our lives. <laughs> uh, you know, we call it the word of God. And there's power and there's authority in his word. And we can be certain that if God said it in his word, then we can trust it completely today. Amen. We don't have to doubt that if Jesus says it here in his word, then we can believe it. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I like uh, in verse uh, 10 here, we know that Jesus didn't disappoint the centurion. And it says in verse 10, and they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. You know, Jesus uh, always amazed people, okay? Um, yet this man amazed Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I, I wonder tonight if God would be amazed at our faith, at what we are, are willing to do for him. Uh, we've seen tonight this, this man, this, this, this centurion, he was an example um, he was a compassionate person. He cared about his servant. He, he wanted him to live. And if, if God were to examine our lives, would he find that quality in us? Would he find compassion towards others in us? I think this man was an example of, of prayer. It says he besought Jesus. He begged him to save the life of his servant. I wonder who it is that we're praying for that needs to be saved. I wonder uh, if, if there's somebody in, that you're praying for and begging Jesus for uh, to, to be saved, to, to know the truth, needs to be saved. This, this centurion is a great example because he prayed for the healing of his servant Yet we can pray for the spiritual healing of those uh, that we love. Maybe family, maybe friends. And we're praying for our Croatian teacher.
to be saved and her husband. And uh, boy, I tell you, uh, and, and others, but um, just uh, we're begging Jesus that he would save them. Amen. And this man also is, is an example of humility. So even though he had authority, he, he deferred uh, that authority to Jesus to do what it was that he could not do. And so he was humble. You know, the Bible tells us that Israel limited God because of their unbelief. You know, Jesus did not do any mighty works in, in Israel in their midst because of their unbelief. And their lack of faith limited God. And just um, as I close, I just want us, think, us to think about that. Our lack of faith limits God. Um, boy, our prayer should be, Lord, increase our faith. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this account of the centurion and the things that it teaches us. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak to our hearts and uh, to be people of compassion, to be people of prayer, to be humble people and realize, Lord, that it's, it's your word, it's your authority that can get things done and accomplished. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith tonight. And Lord, use this passage of scripture in our hearts and lives tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.